Hey, you can call me anything, but so long as you don't call me late to dinner. We can all relate to this old joke, right? Nobody wants to miss out on a specially prepared meal of delicious and rich food and drink, especially when you have some great company to share it with. But unfortunately, not everyone responds to God's gracious invitation, come and get it. What is God's response when people don't respond to his invitation? What should our response be? We're invited. Who's inviting? Hi, this is Pastor John Edding. I'm back in the pulpit after being absent for about a week while I attended the LCMS National Convention in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I would like to apologize for a brief moment of silence during the recording of this sermon. I had this catch in my throat and I I just couldn't talk for a moment, so I had to step out of the pulpit and get a drink out of a bottle of water. This happens to me from time to time. Just don't give up and keep on listening, and God bless the patient hearer of his word. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Come to the banquet. Who is invited? Who is inviting? The table is set. You're ready to sit down and eat and drink and imagine. Imagine your favorite meal, just like I asked earlier with the children. What would it be? Well, maybe it's a beautiful beef roast, juicy and tender. You know, the smell from the slow cooker, right, would have filled the house. Mashed potatoes, creamy, and with a small hole pressed down in the center for a big ladle of gravy. The gravy would fill that hole and then roll off the sides into the plate. The gravy, you know, adding flavor of the roast beef. Fresh, sweet corn picked from the field that morning. Cooked and with pads of butter dripping from one end to the other. Fresh baked rolls. Soft and warm to go with each bite of potatoes and gravy. And a glass of cold milk sits at the top of the plate for refreshment. And for dessert, well, cherry crisp, still cooling from the oven with a big scoop of vanilla ice cream melting down the sides. What is your favorite meal? What's on your plate in your glass? Isaiah writes, listen, and this is in verse 2, second half of verse 2 and Verse 3, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Now, Isaiah is not talking about roast beef and hot rolls here. The table he is inviting us to has the richest of food and the most nourishing of drink. And you see, the table we eat at has been set by God's one and only Son. Jesus has prepared a meal for us 
beyond imagination. And how did he prepare that meal? Well, just before this invitation from Isaiah 55 to come and eat at this table, Isaiah had prophesied that God's servant, what God's servant would do. Listen to these sentences from Isaiah 53. I'm reading from verses 3 through 6. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sound familiar? Well, of course it does. Uh, Jesus' final few days on earth, uh, he is rejected and beaten. He is whipped and bloodied, and you can picture how the Roman soldiers have despised him. You've seen pictures of his wounds, and he was so crushed, he could not even carry his cross to his execution. Stricken, smitten, afflicted. And Jesus does all this to set the table with the riches, richest of foods. He bore all our griefs, he carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He has all our sin and iniquity on his shoulders. And by his stripes, we are healed. And on that cross, he prepares forgiveness for that iniquity. By his suffering, the table is covered with salvation. His death puts eternal life on our plates. Look at the table, each dish Every glass brings us to the very presence of God to eat and drink of his peace. And yes, his peace. One of the choicest of foods on Jesus' table is peace. And not just any peace. The Bible's peace is, is more than the absence of war, uh, you know, a stop in the fighting. God's peace is safety. Health, wholeness, plenty, foods to eat, food to eat, wounds healed, relationships strong, bodies sound and fit, purpose in life. Our symbol, or one symbol for peace, is the horn of plenty. Can you picture that in your mind? You know, the horn of plenty is a long basket, uh, small at one end, and then open. And at the larger open end, all sorts of food or foods roll out. People have food, lots of it. It's a time of satisfaction. And peace is health and wholeness of body and soul. Peace is freedom from worry. Peace is un uninterrupted sleep. Peace is the, is the bounce in your step. And the quiet confidence of a day lived 
with purpose. What an incredible spread of food on this table. Forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, God's love, and peace. It's a meal that satisfies, blesses our relationships, gives wholeness of body and soul, provides purpose to life. And we are invited to this rich feast of blessings. And we're invited because Jesus didn't stay crushed and beaten. He didn't stay in the grave. He rose victoriously on Easter. And this meal is a victory celebration, a time to rejoice. It's the most joyous meal you could ever eat because Jesus is there alive and inviting us to join him. And yes, he is inviting us. Now that, too, is incredible. Normally, who gets invited? <clears throat> who gets invited to the best meals in town? Right? Have you ever thought about a dinner at the, the White House, for example? You know, with various heads of state present. In Washington, D.C., there is a... Oh, <clears throat> excuse me. In Washington, D.C., there is a protocol officer. And his job is to make sure people sit in the right places when a major event occurs. You have two presidents from two different countries. Who sits closest to the president of the United States? Which, which senators are invited? Where do they sit? And it's not just state dinners. If you've got the money to be served the fanciest meals, you eat them. A big bank account and you can buy a $500 bottle of wine to drink. Are you famous? Well, then you get invited to the clubs and parties. Celebrities get in. Others wait in line outside. Are you good looking? And wear just the right brand name clothes. And someone will pull out a chair for you to sit on. But notice what happens with those meals. People are excluded because they don't have enough money. No political power, go home. Not young and beautiful, not welcome. Don't have a big Twitter following, whatever it's called now. Don't expect anyone to make room for you. That's not the case with Jesus. Listen again. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. What an amazing invitation. Everyone is invited. No one is excluded from this invitation. You could be old, weak, tired, disabled, nerdy, out of shape, Wearing secondhand clothes bought at a thrift shop, unemployed, underemployed, unnoticed. Anyone is invited. Status, power, money, fame, looks, dress don't count at Jesus' table. In fact, you can't buy your way to this table. You can only be invited by Jesus. 
He set the table. The chairs are ready for you and me to sit in, and only the richest of foods are there to nourish your body and your soul. Talk about rich foods. Rich, rich foods. Have you ever eaten a 15-year-old aged cheddar cheese? No? Okay. Well, I had a buy. I had a chance to buy some at a renowned cheese and sausage shop just outside Milwaukee this past week. I wanted to purchase a gift box of cheese and sausage to bring home to share. Hey, I was in Wisconsin, right? So what else am I going to bring home? Cheese. Of course. So I picked up a two-ounce package of 15-year-old aged cheese. And I'm thinking, I wonder, I bet it's got to taste really, really good. And I looked at the price, $32 for two ounces. That is a little more than what an ounce of silver would cost today. And a brick of 15-year-old aged cheese would set me back almost $250. That's some costly cheese. I set it down like a hot potato, and I picked up a two-year-old age cheese, and I bought that. That two-year-old age cheese was more in keeping with the budget. The reason why I'm telling you is this, is, is what God is offering us is the riches of foods in the banquet in the gospel banquet that he has spread for us at Jesus' table and in our fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Come by and eat, God says. Don't have any money? No worries. And he who has no money, come by and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, I don't know exactly what this means or how it's possible to buy something without price. But this is the richest, most satisfying food and drink ever conceived by human mind. No, it's conceived by God, and it's yours. It's all yours, without cost, to you, to me. But understand this. This meal of richest food and drink cost God everything. It cost the life of his precious son. Remember the the cost, the price that the promised suffering servant would be willing to pay. We read those words earlier. And then as we confess along with Martin Luther in the explanation of the second article of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood, and with his innocent suffering and death. Praise God, right? His steadfast love endures forever. Peace, forgiveness, life, and salvation at Jesus' table, and in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Praise God. There is one sad note in our text from Isaiah. However, chairs are empty. Remember the context. Um, Isaiah was writing to God's exiled people living in Babylon. And then God says through Isaiah, verse 2, first half, 
Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? What do these lines of longing mean? Imagine a family, a father, a mother, and four children. They make made it their practice over the years as a family, whenever possible, to sit down at the table and enjoy having a meal together. The mother and the father and the children talk about how their day went, they laugh, they joke, and they disagree, as kids will do. And imagine that you are the family and you set the table. The food and the drink are placed on the table and the call goes out, come and eat. And then one day a child walks away from the home. A child walks away from the home. There is a chair, empty, but you still set a place for them. You sit down at the table and there is an empty plate, an empty chair. Paul cries out with the same, the same longing and the sorrow that God has In our epistle, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. I hear the sorrow from Paul and the unimaginable thing he's willing to do I hear sorrow and longing from God. Paul also says a bit later, it's not that the word of God has failed. Remember a couple weeks ago, we learned that God has an all-powerful word, but it can be resisted. Whenever I hear others talking about the the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, the the non-affiliated people, the nuns, the, the duns, the people who kind of are walking away from their church, you know, the sheep that have gone astray, the exiles, the prodigals, and the nomads. You know what I hear? I hear anger. I hear frustration. I hear fear. Sometimes, and defense. I hear dismissive indifference. They probably weren't part of the church anyway. And then we look at how we might be responding to the massive exodus from the church. And love is not near. But from God, I hear sorrowful, lamenting love and a burden for people who are not seated at the table. Can we also adopt this attitude about the empty chair? Can we have the same powerful, sorrowful, lamenting love? Yes, by the grace of God, we can. We can set a place for them. And we can figuratively stand at the end of of our driveway or the lane at the mailbox and look down the road longingly for them and receive them like the father who runs with joy upon sight of his prodigal son who is returning home to receive his prodigal son, to welcome the son who finally came to his senses that the food that the world offers is not satisfying, it's not even Good for the pigs. Chairs are empty. Some haven't arrived at the meal yet. They still need to be invited. 
And who does the inviting? We do. We do. We are the witnesses to the people who aren't yet at the table. I mean, if 100 extra people suddenly showed up at church, we'd make room for them. But they need to be invited for that to happen. Here are three practical ways for you to help with that invitation. First, just because you can't buy a way to Jesus' table doesn't mean money isn't important in the church. Lights need to be on. Heat, air conditioning, we still need those things. Uh, To warm and cool the building. Bread and wine need to be bought for the Lord's Supper. Salaries need to be paid. The building needs to be kept up so that people feel welcome and safe here. Our church needs to be an inviting place to come, and your contributions make that happen. And when you put an envelope or money in the collection plate, it's not to buy your way in, but to help invite others to come and eat at Jesus' wonderful table. Give generously as those inviting others to the table. And secondly, actually invite someone to worship. Ask someone you know to accompany you to a service or a Bible class. Show that person around. Sit with him. Help him follow the service. Most people who don't attend church end up coming because someone invited them. Be the one who speaks in an invitation. Third, live an inviting life. Live a life that shows anyone is welcome to feast on Jesus' forgiveness, life, salvation, and peace. Give generously, invite freely, and be a living invitation. Because look what happens when we come to Jesus' table. On the altar is his body given on a cross, his blood shed for us. Picture yourself coming up to the communion uh, area and you, and you stand and you imagine the walls of the church aren't there, nor the stained glass windows. Instead, this, this communion uh, area extends around the world filled with those who eat and drink of Jesus' forgiveness and peace. And we are standing with everyone or kneeling with everyone who has come to this wonderful meal, male or female, rich and poor, healthy and sick, young and old, Asian and Latino, disfigured and beautiful, disabled and star athlete, presidents and everyday citizens, well-dressed and homeless. And who else is with us? Jesus is. Our risen Lord has set the table. He invited us. And what a meal this is now and for all eternity including for those who still need to be invited. Jesus has set and invited us to a wonderful table of food and drink so that we might invite others. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As you're able, please stand. We continue with the prayer of the church.